you know, what, what I mean by that is that if you compare that with, with an office building, for example, in an office building, you have office tenants uh, that sign a lease, but you have no control of what kind of infrastructure or materials that they're going to be putting in in their unit versus in hotels. You are the boss. You can say, that's what I want to do and that I have the control and put those materials and infrastructure to enhance those goals. You are listening to the AFR podcast. Real estate, technology, cross-border investing, and the opportunities of a changing world. Let's start a conversation now. Sometimes a crisis actually does bring opportunity, at least I hope so. You know, given the multiple crises we face today with COVID, Ukraine war, supply chain issues, and climate change, it, it seems as if we are trying to go through two decades of crisis in a year or two. But in the latest issue of AFIRE Summit, my guest today argued that the struggles facing the hospitality industry may be leading hotels to become clear ESG innovation leaders. Um, the article is called Lodging Takes the Lead. And here we are talking at the end of June of 2022 with Charlotte King, who is the uh, National Hotels and Hospitality Evaluation and Advisory Leader, and Emily Chadwick, Head of ESG and Risk for Jones Lang LaSalle, and also the authors of that article, to share some of their thoughts and to help us understand uh, how hospitality may be helping us to see an ESG positive future. So I want to thank you both, Emily and Charlotte, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Great to be here, Gunnar. Thanks. Yeah, likewise. It, it really is a pleasure to be here. I would love to get into this because I think your thesis in the article really struck me when I first saw it when we were going through the editing process, because we tend to think of uh, hospitality as being uh, not necessarily being a leader when it comes to sustainability. Uh, certainly, it's very operationally intense. It's resource intense. Um, how do you see how hospitality right now might be leading the discussion? And maybe, Emily, uh, you'll start the conversation uh, from, from the European perspective. How is it even possible that hospitality could lead? That's an interesting question. I think there's a real opportunity for hospitality to take the lead in ESG. And part of that comes down to the value proposition for hotels and how we value hotels. Because actually, when we come to value a hotel, the operational expenditure contributes directly to the bottom line and is capitalized into the value. So from a minimizing cost, perspective that goes straight through to value in a way that it it doesn't directly in other sectors mm -hmm. and then from the other side of the coin there's an opportunity to maximize revenue as consumer preferences change as well so mm -hmm. you've got the revenue and the cost side both a real um, push an opportunity for hotels and hospitality to take the lead I think that's interesting, Emily, that you talk to the operational intensity as being a key contributor to how 
they can actually they have their hand on the lever perhaps a bit more than you do in a more passive real estate investment like a commercial office. Charlotte, what are you seeing? I would echo what Emily just said. Really, hotel hotel sector is a large consumer of of energy and water, and and hotel is a labor intensive real estate. With the ESG increasingly on top of the minds of of investors, of consumers, of employees, really hotels have the biggest opportunity in making a difference. So I think that the industry is also remarkably adaptive in embracing challenges to enhance and support the ESG goals because the hotel industry is a type of sector that's very elastic to to external environmental changes, whether they are behavioral or economic. Therefore, really, hotels have the opportunity to make a big difference here. It's. I think your point is a good one, Charlotte, in terms of the elasticity and the the, the tendency for hospitality historically to reinvent itself really on a dime uh, because uh, their their lease terms are about a day as opposed to 10 years or, or longer for commercial office. How are hotels in this kind of emerging out of COVID environment where actually most of the, the room nights seem to be tourism related versus business related? How are they how are they redefining themselves now? What what kind of progress are hotels making in this space, every hotel you know has three major stakeholders. You have owner, brand, and manager. So sometimes all three are the same for a property, and sometimes are not. So meaning, if you, there is a courtyard by Marriott Hotel, the owner can be a separate entity. Brand is the Marriott, and the manager can either be the owner, Marriott. In, which in this case is a franchisor or another third-party company. Or there may be an intercontinental hotel, ISG, that ISG is an owner, is the brand, an operator. So how do hotel companies and owners and brands and managers redefine themselves in order to make a difference? The key is that really everybody chips in. Owner will need to be able to incorporate building materials and infrastructure that support and enhance the ESG goals, provide flexibility and leeway for operators to implement best practices to meet ESG requirements. And brand and manager use their purchasing power in in advancing these goals. For example, Hilton in 2020 began sourcing 100% renewable electricity at the majority of its managed hotels in the UK and added renewable energy options for the US managed hotels. And Hilton also has all of their hotels being mapped against climate risk. So really for this to be a successful endeavor, all stakeholders will chip in and achieve bigger goals. You know, it's interesting to me, you have the combination of that uh, market power of these large franchisers and managers of, of properties combined with an incredible amount of parties that are involved in any given property. Uh, it's interesting to see that. And I'm excited to see what happens when a group as large as Hilton is able to make a broad statement in terms of what they're doing, not just what they're saying, but what they're doing. Emily, I mean, there there is a bit of a difference, I think, in all parts of the economy between how 
uh, the UK and Europe are dealing with ESG and where the US is. And I think we all, in the US, we all have this incredible inferiority complex when it comes to ESG and it's, it, it is warranted, right? Uh, so, I mean, how, especially in the hospitality environment, which is different in Europe, it's not quite as centralized perhaps as in the US, um, how, how is hospitality starting to, to make some real dents in, in the ESG question? I, I do think that potentially there's there's a bit of a difference in um, speed of adoption in in Europe compared to the US. Part of that comes from uh, legislation. So the EU and the UK are both implementing uh, quite radical climate reporting and disclosure um, legislation over the next few years. I know that SEC announced that they were going to do a similar thing in the US, but I just think we adopted that a, a little bit sooner over here. Um, so it's really focusing the minds of large companies, including hotel and hospitality brands, um, and indeed investors in hotels, because they're going to have to start reporting on their climate risk and their emissions. So Probably that legislation piece um, has been just an earlier driver in Europe. There are a few examples now of where smaller brands are developing really ambitious, energy efficient buildings. An example is a, a small brand called Room Two, Room Two, who have built a net zero carbon hotel in the UK is under the Lamington Group um, brand. And it's really pushed the boundaries of what we thought was possible for operational efficiency in, in a hospitality asset. I think Charlotte already mentioned that these are very energy intensive buildings in comparison to some other types of building, other asset types. And often that's because you have lots of different uses within the same building. You might have, you know, a restaurant, a gym, a spa, um, as well as lots of individual rooms, um, breakout space, working areas. You know, there's there's a lot that goes into a hotel. And so on average, they do tend to be quite energy intensive. But I think what we've started to prove now with with these smaller developments in the UK is that you can still get to really low um, energy use levels if you design it right from day one. A bigger challenge is going to be retrofitting those buildings that already exist because obviously we already have so many buildings that will need to transition between now and 2050. Um, and most of the buildings that are going to be with us in 2050 have already been built. So that's going to be another challenge is not just how do we build new buildings to this really highly energy efficient level, but how do we retrofit those buildings we already have? But it seems future. to me that to a certain extent, you have somewhat of an advantage in that a big part of the actual footprint is operationally driven, a uh, bigger part perhaps than, than other asset classes. And if you are solving for that in such an energy intensive environment, um, that's an accomplishment of itself. I've often thought that the for luxury hotels, a big part of the value proposition is the ability to use a lot of energy. 
to have long hot showers, to you know sit in the hot tub, to leave the lights on. That that seems to be <laughs> part of the luxury experience. Mm. And if you're able to create that and yet do it in a way that's closer to carbon neutral, I think that in of itself is a marvelous accomplishment and a proof of concept to the consumers as well, so that behaviors can change uh, because of that, which I think is is kind of interesting. Are you seeing the same thing, Charlotte, in the U.S., or is it less so? You know, when, when Emily said that property, a hotel, if you design it right or retrofit it right, you know, that just gets the hotel closer to achieving the ESG goal. But not only that, you know, when you think about comparing a hotel with other asset classes, we, we have established that, you know, hotels are an intensive user of energy and water and resources. But when it comes to designing the hotels and incorporating the materials, and infrastructure needed to enhance those goals, hotels has the high control of what you can do with it. If you compare with, with an office building, for example, in an office building, you have office tenants uh, that sign a lease, but you have no control of what kind of infrastructure or materials that they're going to be putting in in their unit versus in hotels. You are the boss. You can say, that's what I want to do. And that's I have the control and put those materials and infrastructure to enhance those goals. So I, I think there, there really is a lot of opportunities for hotels. And I also want to echo you know, what Emily was saying in the original question about European and U.S. hospitality and when uh, U, uh, U.S. ESG is that when I first learned about the initiative, I was pleasantly surprised that the development in the in in Europe was a relatively recent affair. It really, you know, a lot of the regulatory regulatory changes were introduced in. What was that, Emily? We talked about this 18 or 19. It wasn't like decades ago. So uh, look at how far along Europe has made advancements. And I think, you know, the U.S. is moving in that direction. With Emily mentioned, you know, SEC just announced proposal for mandatory disclosures. Uh, you have New York and California that has announced, you know, their, their say. And you have also pension funds that voluntarily adopted rules requiring ESG factors in, in their investment decision. So, you know, all of this really play into a lot of the momentum that can be gained in ESG in the U.S. You know, you mentioned the pension funds, and certainly they've been driving a lot of the change uh, in all the uh, sectors that they invest in, uh, which thank goodness for that. And they've been really doing some, some really pushing even beyond what the governments themselves are doing. But I, I do wonder, I think about the the challenges that owner operators and investors in hotels have had over the last few years in terms of added costs and uh, lost revenues, at least in the first year or so of the uh, pandemic. Um, and now an additional cost is being potentially put on top of that, which is to bring, to retrofit, bring their properties up to speed to change their operational structure. How much of an investor's appetite is there for that? Is there a perception that it's worth it or it has to take place. Emily, if you want to kind of take a crack at that, you know, how are investors looking at these changes that are taking place and need to take place going forward? I think, you know, you've meant we've mentioned pension funds there. I think certain types of investors, for them, it's what they have to do. It's not a question of if they do it, 
it's business as usual. We have to consider this now. It's probably not the same throughout the market, though. Um, but I think the timing on that is limited. So some investors today might not be taking this as seriously as, you know, the institutions. But eventually they might be looking to sell their buildings onto those investors. So if they're not thinking about it now, they're going to take a, a hit on their exit position. So I really do think that the timing on this filtering through the market is limited. So I get the sense that you're advising investors to pay close attention to this because it's going to it's going to either help or hurt on the exit as they try to sell in even if they're not institutional now they they're probably wanting to see institutional capital at some point in the life cycle of the investment. Um, okay, interesting. Um, do you think, uh, Charlotte, any differently in terms of how investors are looking at it in the states? I mean, are people? I, I just it, it just seems like wow, what a heavy lift it is right now for hotels in general to be an innovator. On top of that, difficult to do. Yeah, absolutely. Hotel is a very day-to-day -day business. You see your occupancy today and tomorrow. You tend to look at the asset operations level uh, on a day-by-day -day basis. But if you are an investor looking with a longer-term view, having that exit strategy and knowing that ESG is already gaining momentum, not only on this soil, but really globally, then that's certainly something that we would advise investors to take a long-term view on this. And I would also say that we have talked about regulatory requirements is key in moving the momentum. But a lot of that currently is driving the E portion of the ESG. And in many ways, you know, that portion of ESG is also more quantifiable. And therefore, it's something that you can point a numbers to it and say that we that's something that we can implement. The challenge a little bit now is really the intangible benefits or it's tangible in a way that it cannot be measured in the S and the G portion of it. Because for hotels especially, it is a labor-intensive but also very consumer-focused type of real estate. If you have investors, consumers, and employees who care about ESG, then it will translate it. It will translate to a form of value that's intrinsic in the real estate. Let's imagine that I'm I'm investing uh, primarily in multifamily and office. If there were, and, and at this point, office and multifamily investors and operators have been looking to hospitality because we're starting to become more operationally intensive and we're looking for lessons to learn from the, from the sector of hospitality. But when it comes to ESG, what should that investor pay the closest attention to? What is the biggest lesson uh, that we as office and apartment investors should take away from what the two the, the hospitality industry is doing. Emily, you want to take a crack at that? That's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, one thing that that other other asset types should be looking to hospitality for. I mean, I guess it's it's what Charlotte was saying about um, adapting, right? This this elasticity of demand and having to adapt quickly to this new environment. I think offices have had a taste of that with the coronavirus pandemic because suddenly you're coming back to a, an environment where you need to attract people back to the office because they're quite well 
um, set up at home and they're quite comfortable sitting in, in their homes working online. Um, so offices are getting a taste of that now um, and are having to think about how they adapt their product to suit um, their, their stakeholders. So yeah, I think being able to, to adapt to the times and, and really pick this up quickly is, is the lesson to learn from, from offices and, and multifamily as well. Yeah. So don't wait. Start adapting now. Become as yeah, elastic exactly. as you can. I think that's that's very good lesson in general in this environment. Uh, Charlotte, anything you would add to that? Yeah, I would echo that. And also think about hotels again has three major stakeholders. So it's not just the owner or the manager, but you also have the brand or the hotel company as part of the stakeholders. It is paramount and important to get everyone on board as a team and collaborate and achieving bigger goals because hotel companies have the scale to reach out for different aspects of things to move this with bigger momentum. Hotel companies are able to negotiate certain terms or purchasing powers or sourcing energy, renewable energy, using their bigger scale and using their negotiating muscle. So I think that's an advantage that hotel has and really some power behind the engine. That's such a good point because you you just can't hit these targets without all the stakeholders pulling in the same direction. And it's certainly something that I think a lot of office owners are struggling with where they need their tenants to provide them with information. They need their tenants to be working with them if they want to hit these targets. And maybe that collaboration between stakeholders in the hotel industry is a bit stronger already. That's a good point. Well, I wish I could talk longer with both of you. Uh, I would encourage uh, everyone who has not read it yet to take a look at the most recent issue of A Fire Summit and read Lodging takes the lead. There's some very interesting insights there and some charts to help kind of show what uh, Emily and Charlotte were talking about here today. Uh, we have been speaking with Charlotte Kang, a National Hotels and Hospitality Valuation Advisory Leader, and Emily Chadwick, Head of ESG and Risk at Jones Lang LaSalle, or JLL. Thank you, Emily and Charlotte, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Thanks, Gunnar. Thank you, Gunnar. You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast subscription service, such as Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitchers, and others. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice. No content in this podcast is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included has been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE.